Well, good morning once again. I want to tell you about a little girl who was late for Sunday school. She was late for Sunday school class, and so she was dressed up in her Sunday best, and she looked at the time and decided, I'm not going to make it, and so she started to run to church. As she was running, she was praying, dear God, please help me not to be late. Dear God, please help me not to be late, when all of a sudden she tripped and she fell down. Well, she got up, dusted herself off, and saw that she was now a bit dirty, and her dress was a little ripped, and so she dusted herself off, started running again, and again she started praying, dear God, help me not to be late, but this time, don't push me either. (laughs) Well, this morning, I want to tell you about the children of Israel, and many of you are familiar with them. In Joshua chapter 6, we see that they come out of bondage and they come face to face with the walls of Jericho. And so, and so they come face to face at the walls of Jericho, and now they're dependent upon God to bring those walls down. So they're waiting on God, and now God is faithful and He comes through. He's faithful and he comes through for them. God tells them to go in to destroy everything that is in the land that God is giving them. And he specifically not only tells them to destroy everything in the land, but in terms of the treasure, he gives them specific instructions. And so on the screen, you'll see verses 18 and 19. And he tells them this, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And so God specifically said in regards to those treasures, this is what you are to do with them. He is to get everything. They were not to keep any of it for themselves. And so God gave them those specific instructions. You see, there was a ban that was placed on Jericho. And according to the law of Moses, this ban could be applied to animals for sacrifice, to property given to God, to any person found worthy of death. All the inhabitants, except for Rahab and her family, were under the curse and were to be executed for their idolatry and accompanying moral corruptions. So what that means is that Jericho, the whole of the land and everything in it were basically under a curse. And so the Israelites' job was to go in and to basically wipe out the land. And if they were to take any of these treasures for themselves, then that curse would now be put on them. Are you following me? It would now fall on them now. And so let us read the scripture that continues on in Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. And if you are able to, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Joshua 
The title of my message this morning is, uh, first of all, a series called We Have the Victory, and then the title for today is When We Follow God's Commands and Get Rid of Our Sin. And so Joshua chapter 7, starting from verse 1. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Camri, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Aaron, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out of the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were rooted by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of the Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been rooted by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. They will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them into their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that indeed you would bless your word. We pray that, God, you would come and that you would speak to us this morning. May you have your way. May you open up our hearts and our minds to what you have to say. And may you help us to be obedient as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we see that after Israelites conquered Jericho, they were ready to go now and take Ai, another parcel of land. So up until this point, God had given them victory after victory. God was with them and they had victory wherever they went. So they were confident that God was going to give them this land. So Joshua said, well, 
let's send some people to go check out AI, because obviously they wanted to spy out the land, see what was all about before they all went in. The spies came back and they said, this is basically going to be easy. We don't even need to send the full army in. All we need to do is send two or 3,000 people. We don't have to send our full force of army in. It's going to be a piece of cake. And so that is exactly what they decided to do. Only 3,000 men went fighting. But when they went, AI was already waiting for them. It says they rooted them out. They were there and they basically chased them out of their land. 36 of those men died. Now that doesn't seem like a lot, right? 3,000 compared to 36 men dying isn't a whole lot. However, that shouldn't have even happened because God's protection was upon the children of Israel. God's protection was upon them and none of them should have died except for the fact that they went in and they wondered now what happened. What happened? Why was God's protection not upon us? Well, right on verse one, we see why. We see the reason. It says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. We see Achan, and, uh, who was from the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. It says, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Achan was the one who took some of the devoted things. Now, did other people take things? Well, they probably were tempted to, but he is specifically the one who was named who took the same things that God told them not to take for themselves. God had already said, don't take those things. They don't belong to you. They are sacred to the people and they are to be destroyed. Just take the treasures and basically give it to me. Put it in the Lord's treasury. That's where they belong, not with you. But he couldn't help himself and he took treasure for himself and kept it. And this shows us, this example of what Achan did shows us that our sin can affect other people, not just ourselves. Our sin not only affects us, but it affects the people around us. And that's point number one for this morning. It affects other people as well. And we see that, that because of Achan's sin, the Israelites suffered the consequence for that. The Israelites were basically the ones who paid the price because of his sinfulness, 36 of the men died, everyone else lost confidence, and they were not able to conquer AI the way that they could. You see, we may think sometimes that our sin only affects us. We may think that what we do, we are the only ones who have to pay the consequences of that, when in fact, it is not true. Oftentimes, our sin has a ripple effect or a domino effect, whatever you want to call it, and it starts to affect the people around us. Our sin can affect our family, our spouse, and our children. It can affect them in different ways. Our sin can affect 
affect our coworkers. It can affect our siblings. It can affect our team. It can affect the people around us depending what it is. Whatever that is, know that sin not only affects us, but it affects those who are around us as well. There are instances that we read in the Bible that show of how one individual's sin has a greater impact on a larger number of people. And so this story for Achan is just one example of how his one man's sin affected all of Israel. We also see in 2 Samuel chapter 12 how David, who was rebuked for his sin that he committed, was suffering the consequences, but not only he, but his whole family suffered the consequences for his sin. In verse 10, he says this, Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. You see, because of David's sinfulness, his sin with Bathsheba and then killing Uriah to try to cover up the fact that he had made her pregnant and took her into his home, all of that continued on. Not only was he affected, but his whole family was affected. So it had a greater impact. God put a curse on his household and said the sword will never depart. In other words, there will always be trouble upon you and your family. And we see that. His first son with Bathsheba died. Then later we see his son Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Then we see the son Absalom killed Amnon for what he had done. And then Absalom tried to take David's place as king. The calamity after calamity, disaster after disaster. Why? Because of one man's sin. Because of one person's sin. We see sin is a serious thing. And not only does it affect us, but it affects the people around us. And God wants us to get rid of it. Get rid of it so that not only does it affect us, but it not, no longer affects those who are around us. So because of their sin and Achan's sin, God's protection was no longer on the Israelites. They ran back to the camp and they reported to Joshua and the others what had happened. They went back and they told them, 36 of our men died. God's protection is no longer on us. And what did Joshua do? Joshua was so overwhelmed. He was now the leader that it says he fell face down. He fell on his face and he weeped before the Lord. Verse 10 tells us that God says to him, God says, stand up. What are you doing on your face? What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possession. Now understand this. God wants us to cry out to him. Okay? God wants us to cry out to him. So why is it now that Joshua is on his face before the Lord, weeping and seeking God, and God says to him, stand up? What are you doing on your face? Why would God respond to him in that way? God responded to him and said what he said. And in other words, what God was saying is you can be on your face all day and all night, but there is sin among you and that 
is the reason why you're in the position that you are. Because of the sinfulness of the people, they have lied, they have stolen, they have taken what is not theirs, and until that is dealt with, you're gonna continue to be in that situation. That is what God was saying. In other words, your prayers mean nothing to me when sin is so evident and when this is what I told them not to do and they still went and did it. That is what he was saying to Joshua. Now, this is the next point that I get from this passage of scripture, okay? And I want you to be careful not to misunderstand it. So point two is that sin can hinder our prayers from being answered. Sin can sometimes hinder our prayers from being answered. Now, there, of course, are different reasons of why God may not be answering our prayers or why he hasn't as yet answered them. But one of those reasons can be sin in our lives. One of those can be sin, and we see that so clearly out of this passage, that because of the sin, God was basically, his anger burned against them. God was so angry, he was basically saying, how can you be seeking me and asking me to do something when this sin is still lingering, when it hasn't been dealt with, and when it's there, I cannot do anything about it. There are different reasons, but sin can be one of those reasons that our prayers can be hindered. The psalmist writes in Psalm 66, verse 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had kept sin in my heart, he was saying, the Lord would not have listened. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse two, it says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. I want you to understand this. God loves us and he hears our prayers. There is no doubt about that, that God hears us when we call upon him, that he is there, that he wants to do something. But we also need to understand that God is holy. God is a holy God. He tells us to be holy as I am holy. Now, we can never get to that standard of holiness. But because God is so holy, he cannot allow sin to remain in his presence. He cannot allow sin to continue to dwell where he is. And so where sin abounds, God does not. That's why the scripture tells us that there is no fellowship between light and darkness. There is no fellowship because God will not be there if there is darkness. He will not, but he drives it out when we ask him to. That's why when Jesus was on the cross, he took on the sins of the world. He took on all of those sins and for a brief moment, God had to turn his face away. Why? Because God cannot remain in the presence of sin. And so that was why Jesus prayed in the garden. I'm getting a little off track, but that's why Jesus prayed in the garden. If there's any other way, let this cup pass. If there's any other way we can go through this without me being separated from you, then let it be so. But if not, 
not my will, but yours. If there's any other way. You see, Jesus didn't, wasn't worried about the pain that he would get, about the whipping and the lashes and the mocking. He didn't even care about the nails being driven in. But the reason that he was sweating drops of blood, the reason that he was so uh, wanting to get out of this was because he would be separated from his father. Because he knew that God would have to turn away because he cannot remain in the presence of sin. And you see, when we pray, God hears us. But oftentimes, because there is sin in our life, because there are things that shouldn't be there, how can we expect God to move, to use us, to do great things when we still have sin present? How do we expect it? A young boy was walking home one evening when all of a sudden he remembered that his friend had given him a cigarette. Well, no one was around. So as he was walking home, he took it out of his pocket, lit it up, and started smoking. Well, he was smoking it for a minute when he saw in the opposite direction his father coming towards him. Well, the little boy scared because he knew his father wouldn't approve of him smoking, uh, hid the cigarette behind his back. So he's holding the cigarette behind his back and his father comes towards him and he says, hello, son, how are you? And he says, I'm good, dad, how are you? And he says, um, his father noticed the sign that said the circus was coming. And he pointed to the sign and the son said, can you please take me to the circus? You know how badly and how long I've wanted to go to the circus. Please, dad, can you please take me? And the son meant it. He really meant it. He really wanted to go. All the while, while holding the cigarette behind his back. Well, the father said, my son, I want you to learn a great lesson. He says, never ask for something honorable with a passionate plea, all the while holding sin behind your back. <laughs> you see, when we go to God, it's the same thing. We go to him and we passionately ask him. We ask him, God, please intercede. God, use me to do great things. God, change my situation. God, do this and do that. And we're passionate and we're asking for something honorable while all the while we might still be holding sin behind our back thinking that God won't see it, thinking that he'll forget about it or ignore it or dismiss it. But you see, God sees all. And so what God wants us to do is come to him, yes, but first lay it all down before him. Get rid of those things so that it doesn't hinder our prayer life, so it doesn't hinder our spiritual relationship with God, so that when we come to him, we know that we've given it all to him. God is so loving and so forgiving. And he tells us if we come and if we confess with our mouth, he is faithful and just and will forgive us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say come so I can condemn you and punish you and do all those things. No, come so I can forgive you. Come because I love you and I want to forgive you. That is why he died on the cross. I don't know about you, but for me, 
When I know that something isn't right in my life, it hinders my spirituality. It hinders my prayer life. It hinders me reading my Bible. It hinders my relationship with God. Is that the same for you as well? It's the same thing. If, I, if there's a problem that I have with one of my family members or something, you can't be the same with them. When my mother and I have disagreements and she decides she doesn't want to talk to me, things are not the same, right? Things are not the same. I can't go and give her a hug or tease her or send her a text message or call her and, and be the same. But when things are good between us, then our relationship is good. Then we have that love. We have that understanding. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. When things are good between us, us, we can have that wonderful relationship with him when he already knows everything, when he wants us to come before him and to confess. Verse 12b tells us, he says, I will not be with you anymore. I will not be with you anymore. To, for God to say that means that it's serious. I will not be with you anymore. But he says, unless. So there is a point that we can change. Unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you do this. We need to get rid of those things in our life that should not be there. We need to let them go because God already tells us that unless we do it, he will not be with us anymore. Choose to get rid of sin and stop continuing in it. Then in verse 12 and 13, it goes on to say, that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. You see, sin can stand in the way of our victories. Sin can stand in the way of our victories. You see, God is victorious and we have victory in Jesus and he wants us to claim those victories. But sin is one of those things that can often act as a roadblock, that can often be the thing that hinders us from breaking through and getting to the other side. You see, that is exactly what separates us from God, sin. We had perfect communion with God in the Garden of Eden, but after Adam and Eve sinned, there was the separation because sin separates us from God. It removes us from his presence and it doesn't allow us to get to the victories that we deserve in the same way, there are things in our lives that we sometimes try to hold on to that we know may not be pleasing to the Lord. We think that no one will see, but God sees and it hinders sometimes achieving the victories that we can have. Colossians chapter three, verses five and six tell us, 
Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He tells us not only stop doing it, but put them to death. Don't continue. Don't continue in this because the wrath of God is coming. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. When we try to conceal them, it just hurts us even more. But he tells us whoever confesses and renounces and asks him for mercy, he will give mercy. Do you understand the problem of sin? Do you understand how serious it is and the fact that it removes us from the presence of God, for the fact that it hinders our relationship with him, for the fact that it it causes other people to stumble, it causes our prayers to be hindered and our spiritual life to be hindered. It causes us not to receive the victories that God wants to give us because of sin. He wants us to have victory, but first we need to remove those roadblocks that are in our life. I want to tell you about a freshwater turtle. Do any of you know what a freshwater turtle is? Well, it's one of the largest um, freshwater turtles. One of the largest is the alligator snapping turtle. That's what it's called. It's found primarily in the southeastern United States. These massive turtles have been known to weigh close to 250 pounds. Yes. Their diet is primarily fish. However, they have been known to eat almost anything they can find in the water, even in a few cases, small alligators. The alligator snapping turtle relies on a uniquely deceitful method of forging fish. So in order to get its food, it relies on this deceitful method. Okay, I'm going to tell you about it. The turtle will lie completely still on the floor of the lake or river with its mouth wide open. So it will lie completely still with its mouth just open. At the end of the turtle's tongue is a small pink worm-like shaped thing. So it almost looks like a worm. So the turtle will lie with its mouth open and wiggle its tongue, okay? So that when fish are swimming by, what do they think it is? A worm. They think it's a worm. So when the fish come to eat the worm, the, the, the snapping turtle will all of a sudden snap its mouth shut, catching the fish so that it will have its food. The fish cannot escape and there is nowhere for it to go. It's a deceitful method, but it, they use it in order to catch their food. You know, as I read that, I thought, how often is it similar to what the devil does to us? How deceitful he is when he comes and he tries to lure us with the temptations of this world. He tries to make it look so good and appealing that we often get trapped and sucked in to something that we think it is, but it's not. You see, there are so many worldly pleasures that we can indulge in in this life, but they're only temporary pleasures. 
When God says that he has come to give us life and to give it to us to the full or abundantly, we find all that we need in Christ. We find everything that we could ever hope for, everything that we could ever imagine in him and him alone. And all we need to do is to run to him Yes, there will always be temptation. Yes, there will always be things, but he tells us to be on our guard. He tells us to look for those things, to be vigilant, to know the difference. And the closer we walk with him, the more we will understand the schemes of the devil. So when those temptations come, when that sin comes, we will be able to recognize them for what they are. You see, God wants us to be clean vessels. He wants us to be holy and set apart, different, to do his will. And we must seek him for forgiveness and to cleanse us. In Psalm 51, verse 10 to 13, the psalmist David writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David went through a lot. David did a lot, but he says to God, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Do these things to me, Lord. Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And if you do those things, then... I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You see, it starts with us. We can't expect to go out and to tell the world about Jesus. We can't expect to set an example if we ourselves are not following his example. God tells us, follow me. He doesn't say, follow your pastors, follow the people of this world, follow the TV evangelists, follow your friends, follow your parents. He says, follow me. And when you follow me, I will lead you to where you need to go. Then you will be able to set an example so that sinners will turn back to you. When we are walking with the Lord, then we can set an example and expect other people to see and to follow. But we first need to be following him. When we are obedient to the commands of God and we follow his promptings, we begin to see victories being won. The Israelites were obedient in marching around the walls of Jericho and God gave them victory by the walls falling down. Daniel was obedient to the God in the face of adversity. God gave him victory when he was in the den by shutting the mouth of the lion. Job was obedient to God. Despite all that he went through, he still trusted God. God gave him victory by restoring to him double what he had started with. You see, when we are obedient to God, when we let sin get out of the way and stop, God will give us victory. God will give us victory when we are obedient to his commands and his leading.
So what has God been leading you to? As we wrap up, I want you to think about that. What has God been speaking to you about? Have you been obedient to him? Have you been obedient to his leadings? Maybe he's telling you now is the time for you to fully surrender your life to him. Maybe he's saying you need to let go of that person who's holding you back in your life from getting closer to me. Maybe he's saying that now is the time for you to start tithing on the blessings that I have given you. Or maybe he's saying, this is what you need to give to our mortgage fund pledge that's coming up, that you need to be obedient. Even if you think you can't afford to give, this is what you are to give. Maybe he's saying that you need to start spending more time with me and less time on social media. Maybe he's saying you need to start initiating uh, to reconcile that relationship or that marriage or with that family member, whatever it is, what is it that God is speaking to you about? You see, when we follow his commands, when he commands us to do something, and when we get rid of the sin in our life, then we will have victory. That is the victory that we can have in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we thank you for the victory that we find in you. We pray that, Lord, indeed, you would do as David prayed, that you would create in us a new heart, O oh God, that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation, that you would help cleanse us, Lord, from the inside out. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you, God, that when we put our faith and our trust in you, that, Lord, we don't walk this journey alone, but you are on our side, empowering us and helping us. And so, God, may you continue to be with us. May you continue to search our hearts, to see all of our anxious thoughts. And may you indeed forgive us for all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we thank you. And we know that although we are sinful, that, God, you are merciful and compassionate. Thank you for your forgiveness that you offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.